You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hi. Hey, guys. Uh, my name is Ryan. I serve as the lead pastor. Welcome to North Valley. Today's Mother's Day. You know, um, before the day gets away, I'm going to call my mom and uh, wish her a happy Mother's Day. I want to encourage you to do the same thing. You may not have your own kids, but you got a mom. Um, and the gratitude you have um, for the mother that has been in your life, the time that you've had with her, um, thank God for that. Mothers are a gift um, and have such a tremendous influence. You know, um, I'm, moms do hard work. I mean, they do really, really hard work. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about... Um, his ministry, the ministry of Jesus, and then our ministry as it uh, relates to the church and to our own family. Um, And it's interesting that we're going to learn this morning that the word ministry actually means servant. And so what you're going to see this morning as we look at the life of Jesus Christ is that uh, the word minister means servant, literally in, in, in the original languages. And I I just want to say for a moment, I wrote a list of all the ways that Leslie, my wife, has served um, our family. And so I'm going to read this because I I know so many of you moms are doing these kinds of things. And uh, before I read this list, I mean, the first on the list, actually, I'll read the first one. I got 10. The first one is she goes grocery shopping. And I know you're thinking, that's not such a big deal. Well, have you ever been to Costco on Saturday afternoon? That place is like a circus. I was down there yesterday, and uh, we went down there, and if you've not been to Costco on a Saturday, you should go, especially if you like to people watch. There's all sorts of people out there. And uh, I'm the kind of person that gets a little, a little claustrophobic, even though like, I'm a pastor and crowds of people are we're always doing that. But it just bothers me a little bit. At least this is a controlled environment, right? Costco's not. So everybody gets a grocery cart. We got a big list yesterday. And Leslie normally goes out, and we were going to go pick up food because this afternoon we're going to have fajitas, we're going to have a good time, we're going to have a lunch for the family. And so we go out uh, yesterday, and she lets me drive the grocery cart. I had a lot of fun with that for just a little bit. The problem with the grocery cart, though, is it feels like you're in bumper cars, like at the circus. And, but the only bummer is about Costco is you're not allowed to bump anybody. So, so you have to drive that thing. And it feels like bumper cars to me, but you can't, you can't bounce into anybody or anything. So Costco is a bit stressful, you know, and I just want to take a moment to say, man, moms, thank you for doing that kind of work to get out and to get all the supplies for the household. Uh, here's my list, and this applies to so many of you. Uh, ten, ten reasons why I think Leslie's a servant or my wife uh, for super moms in the North Valley. Here it is. She goes grocery shopping. That's a big deal, um, especially if you're going to go to Costco on Saturday afternoon. Number two is she ensures all the kids have food and clothes. I know that's pretty basic, but if it was up to me, you've seen it before. When Leslie's out of town, the kids come to church and they've got half their clothes on or mismatching socks. And if they look bad, I don't really care. It's okay. We're all right, you know. Uh, but she makes sure everybody has food, clothes, and they eat healthy. Like to me, we could grow up on Captain Crunch. I'm cool with that. You know, uh, but no, she's going to do that. Make sure we all have good food and clothes. She ensures they do their homework. She comforts them when they're crying. She mediates in between arguments and works out disputes. 
I thought about it like so many of you super moms, you are, you are serving to reconcile the kids when they get frustrated. Like you should get like the Mother Teresa Award of the Peace Prize. Like you're creating peace in your home by doing that. That's a big deal. Um, six, she, she decorates the home. It feels like a, like a sanctuary. It's a place of refuge uh, for me personally. That's a big deal. You know, I have a place that you can have special. Uh, she finds uh, fun things to do for the kids. I know so many of you moms are doing that this summer. You're, you're planning activities. You're asking our church staff, hey, what, what can we do for the kids? Because you love your kiddos. Uh, she coordinates play dates. Uh, now, it's, it's moms have to coordinate the play, play dates through text messaging. Um, and she, she, she reads them stories, and then she gets them ready for church most of the time. Uh, you know, if we don't have kids, moms, you had a mom. And uh, they play a special role, and um, they serve in this role of a minister, which is a servant. Um, it's important for us to understand mom's ministry is a, is, is a service ministry that's an example for every single Christian to be that kind of servant. Um, secondly, I just wanted to tell you that it's important for us to understand that um, God invites us to be a part of, of making room for ministry. When it comes to today's message, I want you to understand that God invites you and me to be a part of his servant ministry. Jesus himself said, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life away. So the very ministry that we're going to be looking at is the life of Jesus Christ, continuing on in this teaching series called 40 Days with Jesus. And I want to tell you ahead of time that God is inviting you and me to be a part of his kingdom work to, to, to in a role that's a ministry. Every single believer is a minister, is a minister. And what that looks like is serving. Um, and this is really important for our church, guys. Listen up. If we don't understand a clear Jesus-centered ministry on what Jesus's life looked like, then we're not going to be able to accomplish our purpose as a church, our plans, or our pursuits. It just won't happen. So this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the life of Jesus Christ and see his ministry. And I'm going to call you and challenge you to model ministry, serving. And you say, well, I'm not in the ministry. I'm not a clerical worker. If you're a Christian, you're a minister. You're called to be a servant. And that servant means minister. So what we're going to see this morning is a Jesus-centered ministry approach. And I'm going to call you to, in this 40 days with Jesus is to really consider what would my life look like if I served in a ministry uh, like Jesus served in ministry. Check this out. How shall we picture the kingdom of God? It is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field. The smallest seed in the world. Yet, when planted, It grows up. Rabbi. 
are forgiven, my son. Did you hear that? He has forgiven his sins. I thought only God could do that. Isn't that blasphemy? He knows. It is blasphemy. Is that your wish, my friend? Well, answer me. Tell me which is easier. To say his sins are forgiven. Or say he. Get up. And walk. Son of man has authority to forgive sin. Friends! What is this about? Not even Moses himself would have thought he could forgive sin. You heard what our teacher said. On what authority does he think he can do this? On his authority. That is blasphemy. Only God can forgive sin. And your friend could be stoned for a false claim like this. This is just the beginning. In the beginning of Mark's gospel, he's an eyewitness account, and he gives the, the chronological storyline of the life of Jesus Christ. In this 40 days with Jesus, what we're doing is we're centering down and looking at the life of Jesus Christ. There's no better person that you could focus your attention on. There's no greater study that you could in, take up the endeavor to apply your academic research or your investigation on the claims of the person and the words and the works of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is demonstrating and declaring that He alone is the Son of God in this scene that we look at is found in Mark chapter 2. I want to encourage you to open up your Bibles and we'll look along there and see this account where Jesus says that he's going to forgive sins. That he is claiming that he is God because only God can do that. And he is not only going to do that, he's going to heal this man that is in need of uh, healing. See, uh, the gospel writer says, is Mark chapter 2 verse 1 he says, and when he returned, that is Jesus, to Capernaum, after some days it was reported that he was at home. This home would have been that of the Apostle Peter. In Mark chapter 1, it says that Jesus had entered into the house of Simon Peter, and his mom was there, and his mom was sick, and Jesus goes into the household and heals his mom. And it said that the word of Jesus' name and fame started to spread throughout the region and the entire city was assembled in Mark chapter 1. 
And here we, again, we see in this household scene, Jesus doing a miracle. See, the name and fame of Jesus is beginning to break out. This is the first time that he's going to be accused of blasphemy. And blasphemy is what he's going to get killed for, as we're going to find out later in this teaching series. If anybody was to say blasphemy literally means it's a slanderous statement towards a deity or something sacred, he's blaspheming. He's saying something that is completely blasphemous and wrong. And under the religious right, it would have been uh, reason enough to have him crucified. He will be crucified. He will be crucified not just because he's declaring he's God, but he's also declaring that he's king. And so what we're going to see in this home that we're going to see is that many gathered were gathered there. Jesus had crowds around him all the time. And so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. Every time there's a crowd in the life of Jesus, there's preaching. Jesus is one who proclaims the kingdom of God. The word of God is always at Jesus' forefront in the area of ministry. He does not just do ministry to heal people, feed the sick, feed the lame, all that. He's preaching ministry, preaching the word. Jesus' ministry centers around good news. Jesus' ministry centers around the good news of Jesus Christ, that he offers forgiveness for sins. That's good news, that there is one who offers forgiveness for that guilt that we find, that graceless world that we find ourselves in. We have a remedy. His name is Jesus, and he offers forgiveness. Do you remember in the scene that we just saw where the man comes to him? He didn't say, I need you to prove your faith. He says, I see your faith and your sins are forgiven. That's the way Jesus works. His ministry is rooted in the word. It's rooted in the heart. He loves and he addresses and he gives forgiveness. He's got a ministry that centers around the good news. The good news is is that Jesus is the son of God and he offers forgiveness of sins. It says in Mark chapter 1 verse 14 through 15 that Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel. That's the good news of God and saying the time is fulfilled And the kingdom of God is at hand. He doesn't say it's near. He says it's at hand. Jesus is the king. Jesus is saying the kingdom of God. He has a kingdom. It is earth and heaven. And he's saying the times are changing. Where the king is coming back to restore all things. We think of good news constantly. And we think of, oh, it's good news that Jesus teaches that we need to live more like him. Yes, that's true. We think, oh, it's about my behavior. If I live more like Jesus, I'll, have, I'll be living the good news. Or we think, oh, it's about belief. I better believe that Jesus is the son of God and I will be saved. Yes, it is. But here, look at the text. Jesus is saying the time. The good news is about a shift in time, that now there's a king that has placed his feet on earth and he has declared and demonstrated his authority, that he has absolute authority and the king is coming back. The kingdom is not near, the kingdom is at hand. And so we live in between the time when he professed that the kingdom of God is at hand and the time when he will come back and restore all things. Right now we're waiting for our king. We're waiting for the king to return to restore all things. So when you see a broken and twisted world, you can say, yep, it's because the king's not yet returned, but he's coming back. 
So the kingdom of God is not near, he says, it's at hand. And he says, repent and believe in the gospel. That's the good news. The good news is, oh yes, sure, it is about living a good life, amen. Yes, it is about believing in Jesus as the Son of God. But the good news is also that there is a real king, creator, sustainer. His name is Jesus. That we have a true king, a holy king, a righteous king, king of heaven, king of earth. And his name is Jesus. And Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Change, repent. That means change the way you think. Sometimes we think good news is just about beliefs or behavior, but it's about a historical event. It's about a changing of the guard. God came to put things right into the world and he invites us to be a part of it. Good news. Here it is. There's three kinds of churches that focus their ministry around these things. Good news, good works, and good advice. Jesus' ministry centered around good news. Good news churches focus on the proclamation. They focus on teaching through books of the Bible as well as topics. And when they hit a topic, they exposit. They explain the scriptures. That's what we do. They exegete. That means they dive into a word and they explain it really well when they're focusing on a topic or a passage in particular. They'll teach through books as well as they'll teach through topics. Good news churches focus on the words of Jesus. They're focused on the good news, the words of Jesus, his forgiveness, his new life, his salvation that he offers, his forgiveness. The favorite phrase of good news churches is preach the word. Preach the word. Bible, they, good news churches see the Bible as the message of salvation. You've heard these churches, seen these churches. This is a, a church that centers its ministry around good news. You hear about forgiveness a lot. You hear about Jesus a lot. You hear, we work through books of the Bible. We just went through 13, 12, 12 to 13 weeks in the Song of Songs. Now we're walking through the words of Jesus so you can learn God's message. Good news churches are wonderful. There's also good works churches and they do a lot of good work. They're not bad. They just focus on the good works. And it, they can center their ministries, though, around good works. Good works churches are those that focus on demonstration. They oftentimes do less preaching and they do more doing. They focus on social justice issues and causes. They focus on the works of Jesus, not the words of Jesus. Good works churches see the Bible uh, as a model for living. That if you want to live right and do good, then you read the Bible. That's what you do. Good work churches was really uh, birthed, um, very popular, became very popular in the 20th century by a social justice movement within the church to care for the poor, care for the needy, and all those things are good. But if the whole church centers around that, you can drift off. So you've heard the phrase, uh, the good works churches focus on what would Jesus do? You seen that bracelet? Good works churches that was born out of a social justice movement and the churches focus on that. The problem with having your whole centered of ministry around good works is you constantly ask the question, how much, how much work is enough? Where's grace? Where's forgiveness? Where's the message of Jesus and all that? Good works churches are important. We do good works. In fact, this, uh, this last week, some of you got the magazine 
called uh, Fireside Connects or Tremonto Connects, and they say this, North Valley Community Church is making a difference. They've partnered with over 20 churches to create awareness of the foster care crisis. It's foster care awareness. We've set a goal in the next few decades, we're going to help end the foster care crisis in Arizona. But you don't hear me every week talking about that, do you? You hear me talking about God's Word. You hear me talking about Jesus all the time. Because if we just focus on the works, what do we got? We got a ministry. We don't have a church. Not at least a church centered on a ministry like Jesus did. But we do good works. Not because we're trying to earn something, but because we've been blessed and we want to give something. Amen? We're not trying to earn anything we've got. God's given us everything we need. And all we're doing is we're simply reflecting the great love to people around us. Not to earn anything. Jesus earned it all for us. Good works that we've done, though. We partnered with Deer Valley Unified School District and provided over 10,000 pounds of food to families. We donated over $23,000 towards missionary efforts. We've not even been around five years as a church from our grand opening. We donated over 44000 to help start uh, 15 new churches. It's actually 17 now, but they got 15. That's good enough. And, and so we're doing good work. But that's not the ministry that uh, our church centers around. Our ministry centers around the good news of Jesus Christ, and we will do good works. There's also good advice churches. These are churches that focus on biblical principles. Biblical principles are important. You need biblical principles. The Proverbs is filled with biblical principles. Every day I look at the Proverbs and I ask people to pray for me, give me the wisdom of Solomon. But good advice is not good enough. What you need is you need good news. You need good news in your life all the time. Good advice churches, they have, some, um, they have less Bible teaching through books. They do exposit the text if they're doing a good job. They exegete the passage if they're doing a good job. Um, these are typically churches that are larger. Uh, good advice churches. Seven ways to have a happy life. Uh, seven ways to have the best marriage. It's good advice. It's really good. But good advice doesn't get you saved. Good advice is good advice. Focus on wisdom of Jesus. Focus on the Bible. Uh, and they see the Bible as the basic instructions before leaving earth. Does that sound familiar? How we see the ministry of Jesus ought to shape our ministry. How we see the ministry of Jesus ought to shape the way we minister to people and the way churches ought to minister. Our church is all three of these things. We'll do a Proverbs series, and it's all good advice. We'll do a marriage series, it's all good advice. But the center of our ministry focuses on the news, good news of Jesus Christ. That the King is coming. That Jesus offers salvation and forgiveness. And that's exactly the kind of thing that we're going to be talking about this morning. We're going to see all these at work. The good news of Jesus, the good works, and the good advice. Mark chapter 2, verses 3 through 4 says this, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Everybody say, four men. Now, this could have been a big dude because it took four men to lower this guy down. But it says, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And, and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. This guy's paralyzed. He's handicapped. He, uh, he, he is in need of healing. That's what his friends are wanting to do is get him healed. They care for him. They've heard about Jesus healing people, so they think, I'm going to bring 
Let's bring our friend. Let's bring, let's bring Tony. Tony needs to get healed. He's been lame from birth. Jesus is in the neighborhood. Let's bring our friend. They rip open the roof. Okay, no matter how you look at that, at the roof, could have been mud and sticks and tiles and all, no big deal. No, it's a big deal. You don't go through somebody's house through the roof. You go through the front door. And they make this abrupt appearance because they're desperate to see their friend healed physically. But what does Jesus do? Look at that, Mark 2, 5. And when he saw their faith, that's everybody's faith, all the, the team of guys that brought their friend, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Wait. They weren't bringing him to get his sins forgiven. They were bringing him to get his legs healed. He was a paralytic. And Jesus goes straight towards forgiveness. Why? Because Jesus focuses on good news. Jesus is not interested in trying to, at the forefront of every ministry encounter, is do a good work, although he'll do good work, amen? He wants to do good news. The good news is that heart problem that this guy had, this unbelief, this unrest about his eternal security, it gets set straight right now. Jesus, the very first thing he does is he forgives first. What do we do in our marriages, in our ministries, in our relationship, in our churches? We forgive last. We say, prove yourself, live really good, behave really good. Mm, you look like you deserve a little forgiveness now that you've earned it. Jesus forgives first. That's the very first thing he does. He doesn't say, now let me clear this up real quick. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's the message, that's the good news of a good, good father. He offers forgiveness. Now, this is not because he didn't get sick because he had some kind of uh, parents that were uh, sinful and this isn't related to his uh, sinfulness, his paralysis. The Bible tells us that. That was asked at another encounter when Jesus' disciples were saying, what in the world is going on when these people are sick? Is it because of their sin? John 9.3 says, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. Jesus answered, this happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. What we see is Jesus focusing on the heart issue first. It says in, in 2.6, it says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their what? In their hearts. They're wondering, why in the world is this guy doing this? Why does this man speak like that? He says, he is blaspheming. That's slander to a deity or some kind of sacred object. And the object is Christ. He, he's saying he is blaspheming. He's blaspheming against God. Who can forgive sins but God alone? That's a great question. And Jesus is like, that's exactly right. He is God. This is the charge. This is the first time and noted in the Gospels where Jesus is being charged with blasphemy. This is what will get him crucified by the religious community. Rome's going to get him crucified because he's claiming he's a king and there's no other king but Caesar. The religious community is frustrated about Jesus offering forgiveness because in offering forgiveness, he's saying that your sins are, are forgiven. Primar forgiveness is primarily an act of God where a rebellious, wrong sinner is going to face judgment and it is freed from that judgment. The divine penalty passes by. Jesus is what he's doing. He is relieving a guilty sinner of unbelief, not recognizing Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And now he recognizes his faith and he offers forgiveness. Forgiveness is unique in Christianity. 
I've told you before that it, there's, if, if you are struggling with the faith in Jesus Christ or Christianity, do this. Do a comparison analysis with every other religion and come down to the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Focus it there. And you will walk away uh, more faith in that religious belief and system than every other religion. Just the words alone. I mean, Jesus changed everything. He changed our timeline. The entire timeline of our whole world centers around Jesus. There's nobody more influential. But the message of Jesus is so powerful and so unique among every other religion. Forgiveness is a foreign concept in so many religions. In animism, there is no awareness of a personal relationship with God, and you're definitely not going to get any kind of forgiveness in an animistic society in the in the uh, sub-Sahara Africa or in the jungles of South America, the animist society, there's no personal relationship with a God. In Hinduism, all have to pay the endless consequences of karma in the wheel of reincarnation. There's no forgiveness in Hinduism. There's no, there's no forgiveness with karma. There's no forgiveness in the concept of the yin and the yang in Taoism. It's not there. It, it's a scale. If you do a lot of good, then good will come back to you. If you do bad, then bad will come back to you. Jesus cancels all that out. That's not the kind of message that Jesus is doing. This guy, this paralytic, he had done far more wrong than he had right, right? And all of a sudden, Jesus says, you're forgiven. He doesn't say, I want to see you live a holy life for a long time. Go, my son, and be righteous, and then you shall achieve forgiveness. Now, he gives it to him immediately. In Buddhism, there, Buddhism knows nothing of a forgiving God. There is no forgiveness in Buddhism. There is no forgiveness uh, like what we see in Christianity, historical Christianity, like Islam. Islam, the idea is present of forgiveness, but there is no personal, loving, good, good father like we see here. Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious community riots. Who does that? Who says that? That's blasphemy. You're claiming you're God. Jesus did constantly. I am the way. I am the truth. And I am the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Jesus claimed he was God. In Judaism, here what we see is this forgiveness is a limited experience. They don't fully understand forgiveness. They're confounded with Jesus' message and pronouncement. This guy's forgiven. Even in Catholicism today, many of you come out of that. I bet half of our church comes out of a Catholic culture. You, Catholicism, in Catholicism, forgiveness can be blurred between, did I go to the priest enough? Did I do confessional enough? Did I say my prayers? Did I partake in that pilgrimage? In Spain, they have a uh, and my wife and I spent a number of, of uh, years uh, focusing on doing international uh, church planting ministry in Madrid, Spain. There was the pilgrimage of uh, Santiago. And there was this pilgrimage. And if you hiked that pilgrimage and you did that, you could get your sins absolved. And so even in the Catholic church, there's this blurred vision for forgiveness. But in Protestant Christianity, the Bible says that forgiveness is offered through faith alone, by grace alone. It's God's grace. It's God's initiative. That's the good news. The good news. Jesus' ministry centered on good news. 
Let's see what it, let's continue to work through the text. It says, the next thing that we're going to see in Mark chapter 2, verse 8, is that Jesus' ministry speaks to the heart. He's always speaking to the heart. Immediately, Jesus perceiving, it means he knew ahead of time what they were thinking, these religious people that were frustrated that Jesus would pronounce forgiveness. He is omniscient, meaning he's all-knowing. Jesus perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, he said, why do you question these things in your hearts? Jesus looks at the heart. That's consistent with all the Bible. It's consistent with Jesus' message and his ministry. The greatest commandment, the Bible says, Jesus said, is to love the Lord your God with all your what? Heart. You know, that was really cool in this uh, little news article. One of the things they said is they said, uh, yeah, Pastor Ryan said when they were starting this church, they were focusing on the greatest commandment, and that's to love God with all your heart. They're in the business of helping people love God with their heart. Jesus' ministry speaks to the heart. You know what I love about Jesus? Is that he's not perplexed or overwhelmed, annoyed or frustrated with the cynics, the skeptics, and the, the, the religious elites. He's not frustrated with them. If Jesus was uh, present today in bodily form, I believe he would walk straight into some of those uh, secular institutions like Harvard or Yale and debate with their New Testament professors that are uh, destroying the authority of Scripture and he would debate them intellectually, but he would love them all the way through it. And he would engage the heart. You know, some of the most brilliant scholars that are atheists or agnostic you know why they are? Because their heart has been hurt. They lost a loved one and they can't explain it. And they fall into the temptation of using their intellectual eliteness to destroy the very fabric of our faith. Jesus engages the heart. He engages the heart of those that are smart and he engages the heart of those that have very little education. He cares for the in and outs or in the up and ins, the religious up. The wealthy, the elite, the powerful, and he cares for the down and outs. He says this, he says, which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or to rise and take up your bed and walk? Both would have been difficult because if he says, let's just follow the text, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven. Well, that's a problem. You're going to get crucified Jesus. You're calling yourself God. You're saying that you're forgiving people. Religious people will hate you if you do that. That's not easy to say, but it is kind of easier to say in some regard too, because if he just says, hey, your sins are forgiven, who can prove it? The guy? Oh yeah, Jesus, I feel a lot lighter in my heart. I feel cleaner in my heart. I feel better in my heart. I, my sins are forgiven. He is true. He has forgiven my sins. But it's also... We see in the text, he says, which one is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Now everybody, the cynics, the skeptics, the up and ins, the down and outs, they've all known about this guy. He's been lame from birth. He was handicapped. He's a paraplegic. Now if he says you, you're healed, then everybody could verify because this guy could get up and walk out of there. And Jesus is going to do something incredible. Jesus' ministry is intentional to reach out to both groups. He cares for the, the elite, and he cares for the 
the down and outs. He cares for the up and ins, and he cares for the down and outs. Look what he says first to the up and in. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he's speaking to the religious community. You've got a problem with the way I handle forgiveness because you don't believe that I'm God. He says, but that you may know. I'm going to minister to you. I'm going to prove you. I'm going to show you. I'm going to turn your fear into faith. I'm going to change the way you think about the kingdom of God. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man, that was Jesus' favorite phrase about himself to, do, to declare that he's both divine, he's both human. Has authority on earth to forgive sins. And then he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise and pick up your bed and go home. Jesus focused first on the good news and saying your sins are forgiven. And I want, here's the problem. Sometimes the more up and in you are, the more that you have, the more that you think you have intellectual power, the less you understand forgiveness and grace. Because you think you've done it all. And Jesus starts right there and he reaches out to the intellectually elite and says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has the authority to forgive sins. I'm going to do this. Jesus puts the good news in front of the good work. But he does them both. He does them both. I say to you, rise up, pick up your bed and go home. He ministers to the down and out. Should we care for the poor and needy? Yes, we should. Should we care for the homeless? Yes, we should. Should we care for the thousands and thousands of children without a home? and need the the experience of a loving family, and foster and adopt. Yeah, we should. This is Foster Care Awareness Month, and there'll be seasons in this church where we go for it with all glory and all guts. We go in, all the way in, to make awareness about the foster care crisis. We'll do humanitarian causes, but let me get this straight. This church is centered its ministry around the good news of Jesus Christ. That's about God's grace, about God's forgiveness. That's the uniqueness of our message. Every religion focuses on good works. What makes us different? But the ministry of Jesus gives something surprisingly different and gives us forgiveness with no strings attached. Gives us grace when we don't deserve it. That's the ministry of Jesus. It says that he did this in Matthew 2, or Mark 2.12 and the lame man immediately picked up his bed Now, he didn't have like a big Costco bed. He had a little mat is what he had. He picks it up and then he went out before them all. And so they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we've never saw anything like this. That's the ministry of Jesus Christ. Unique. That's the ministry of Jesus. Unique. The life of Jesus. Unique. Compare him with everybody else. Gandhi, Buddha, Joseph Smith. Compare him. Nobody's like Jesus. Nobody says that stuff. Hey, your sins are forgiven. Buddha didn't say that. Gandhi didn't say that. Muhammad didn't say that. Jesus says that. Why did he do that? Because he's the son of God. And he's declaring and demonstrating that the king, the kingdom, God's rule, God's reign is at hand. We are in a time in between. We're awaiting our king to come home. He will establish a new heaven, a new earth. And this whole, I'm praying that the Phoenix Valley gets filled with a little more green, you know? 
that it's a revived or restored city. Fully alive. People fully alive. No more sin, sorrow, and sickness. The king is home. We live in that time in between. The good news is that the king has come. The good news is that the king is returning. That's good news. So what about your ministry? What about my ministry? I want to encourage you in this last few minutes. Is you need a ministry. I don't need you to get ordained. No, you don't need to get ordained. You already are ordained. You don't need to sacrifice your life and go into missions and ministry to be important to God. You need to be right where you're at. In the station of life that He's called you to. The family. The work. The context He has you in. And you need to realize that the ministry you've been called to is heart work. It's to focus on the spiritual rather than the physical. Focus on the spiritual first. Heart work. You need to care for the kids. Moms, you have a special privilege where you get to do heart work with your kids. Dads, you can be the pastor of the home. That's what you need to do. You do heart work with people. You care for people for their hearts. You focus on the internal things before you hit the physical things. The physical things are important. Don't get me wrong. Do all that. But let me tell you something. Every single person on the planet has a soul. And there will be an eternity of the soul. The soul, I just did a memorial service here just a couple of weeks ago. The soul lives on forever. An eternity with Jesus or an eternity in hell. And you have to realize that the time that you have is precious. The ministry that Jesus has called you to, me to. It's not some professional caste system or religious elite. It's everyday believers. Following after Jesus. The word minister means servant. Jesus said, come. He said, to, he said, I did not come just to serve or to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom of many. Realize it's heart work. That you focus on the heart. Secondly, that you focus on working as a team. God works on a team. He's got the Trinity. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they all have unique roles. The Trinity is God is we serve one God, three persons, and all fully being God. Mind-blowing, comp- comprehensively challenging, I get it. But that's the God we serve. You, you don't get Him. His ways are not like your ways. We don't fully understand Him. We don't understand why He would grant forgiveness when people need to pay the price. But Jesus did pay the price. God uh, uh, models for us, even in the life of Jesus, he picked 12 to be his disciples to change the world and rechange everything. We see here in the text that the ministry model is there's four guys that grab their friend. My encouragement to you guys is be one of those four. Would you be one of those four that has a friend that's often left field or struggling or hurting? Maybe you be one of the four to pick up a friend, to go help them out, to make that call, to show up when nobody else is. Or ladies, you be one of the four That when a family member or a friend is struggling so bad, you be one of the four to help them out. We say at North Valley all the time, it takes teamwork to make a dream work. You got to work as a team, as a family. You got to work as a team. Lastly, I want to encourage you to look to meet a real need. You don't need to meet a real need. You don't look at meeting a real need by, by waiting and sitting in the back and going, well, I'll just wait until I find my sweet spot in ministry. And I will utilize all my gifts. 
and I will just wait to ensure that I will be most efficient and most effective for the kingdom of God. Don't do that. Just do this. Oh, man, that person's in need. I'll go help. I'll do that. Oh, my goodness, there's a need here in the church, and I see that need. Maybe God wants to use you to be a part of a ministry. Take that need and that opportunity. I want to encourage you to take your next step to help meet new ministry needs here in this church. You know, it's important that as we proceed forward, that everybody sees themselves that calls the North Valley home, that you've got a spot on the team, that you've got an opportunity to be a part. We're not even ready for our grand opening. If you drove in on the way in here, you saw there's weeds everywhere. There's, you know, who cleans this chapel right now? It's me. I want to show you our team. We had a staff meeting here the other day, and I said, hey, we're going to practice servant leadership. If Jesus washed people's feet, we should wash or at least the floor. You know, meeting real needs is a big deal. And right now, we're in a season at the church. I want to encourage you. Maybe that you help meet a real need. We've got to, to clean up this campus. We've got to keep maintaining it. We don't have the finances to do that immediately. Um, as God grows this church, maybe some of you that aren't available with your time and don't have the energy to help clean the campus or inside or out, but maybe you could say, well, I, I do have a ministry gift of giving, and I want to give. I'm going to start giving, or I'm going to give a one-time gift because I want to help this church proceed and see your area of uh, helping meet a real need. Today's Mother's Day. Moms, you serve as a great example, as servants. Today is a day where we look at the life of Jesus Christ. No greater example for us to see a ministry leader than the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today and the great privilege that we have looking at your word. I pray, God, that as we proceed forward from here, God, would you stir our hearts to see the ministry of good news that you offer us, the good works that you've already done, the good advice that we find from your Holy Spirit and through your word. We give you praise and we give you thanks, God, for the work that you're doing here. I pray for every single believer that would now say, I will be a minister, a servant, and do the hard work, be a part of a team, and help meet real needs. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, amen. Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give online today at northvalleychurch.org.